What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of NBA Stories. My name is Nick Nasby. I'm your host, and tonight I am joined once again by one of my favorite guests on this podcast, Mr. Logan Semigram. Logan, how you doing? How's your summer going? How's Jersey? Jersey's pretty good. Staying corona-free. Uh, I start class this week. I got a lecture from 1 to 4.30 on American politics every Tuesday and Thursday, so pretty fucking annoyed about that. But uh, besides that, everything's been going good. How about yourself? Good, man. I actually just went to Tampa, which was interesting to say the least, but you know, it, it's just funny after you graduate and start to see the same people over and over again. You just realize that like shit don't change. You know, people, are, <laughs> people just stay the same, which is fine. I mean, it's up, you know, whatever. More power to them. But you go up there and like slight changes here and there. Maybe somebody moved. Maybe somebody got a promotion at their job. But for the most part, it's just everybody business as usual. So you know, we just kind of do what we do. But tonight. Logan had had a really good idea that I wanted I wanted to dive into first because a couple days ago was the ESPYS right? Yes, sir. The ESPYS where we have seen so many great moments in the past. You know, that's where Stuart Scott gave that speech before he passed. It's where Jimmy V gave the speech before he passed. Obviously, this year they were having, they had to do it a little bit different because of everything that's going on around us with COVID, but they were able to do it and. Because of everything in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, if you're listening to this in the future, this is a really tumultuous time in our in our country because we're seeing a whole lot of people making a whole lot of stands and a whole lot of statements about a whole lot of different topics, including racism and things of that nature. And, I, and it sounds like I actually wasn't able to watch it before it started. But Logan, it sounds like they were talking about that to to a, a large extent during the SB. Is that right? Yeah, no. So it it opened up with about a five minute monologue with uh, why well, I wouldn't really say monologue because it was more than one person, but uh, it was Megan Rapinoe, Sue Bird, and Russell Wilson, and it was really really powerful. They pretty much were able to take every single sport you could possibly think of and you know unite them all with one voice with the same statement. And um, I don't know if you you know watch the news a lot, but uh, there's been a lot of change that's been happening lately in sports, including, you know, recently uh, Mississippi uh, just agreed in the House to change their state flag. And college coaches like Lane Kiffin were using their voice to, you know, talk in front of the Congress, which I thought was really cool. Um, you know, and, and the SBs in general, as a sports fan, someone who likes the history, someone who likes all the speeches and stuff like that. I've had my prob- I probably had my most empowered moments sitting in front of my computer you know, listening to Stuart Scott, listening to Craig Sager, listening to Eric LeGrand, listening to Jimmy V, listening to all these, you know, men and women who, you know, really show that sports is way bigger than sports. And I think that the ESPYs gives me a really good two hours to understand how, well, like LeBron James said, how, you know, athletes can't just shut up and dribble. And I think the ESPYs is the perfect platform for that. You know, to your point, when it comes to these platforms, it's been it, it's been pretty clear recently that they're not going to allow them to to stand idly by anymore. Whereas it was almost a contentious topic to talk about Colin Kaepernick just two years ago. Now it's he's praised as he should be. You know he's celebrated as he should be. They're doing a Netflix documentary on him. I think it's coming out relatively That's, soon. It's gonna be good. Yeah, it is, and and I think it's it's just it goes to show that where most people thought that him kneeling was completely out of nowhere, 
when we start to see it happening in our in our society you know day in and day out and and the type of instances and the occurrences you know if you listen to the episode i did about my experience these are things that i i literally left so much out that it could have been another 30 minute long episode it's just all the time you know so it's 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 interesting that sports by itself especially basketball i think basketball is a good example because in basketball you have five guys on a side two teams 10 players total in football you have 24 players total and on a team you have like 53 on the entire team so you you really don't matter that much if you're not the <laughs> biggest name right you know what i'm saying though like it's not tom brady and tom brady wouldn't yeah, stand no. up like that no offense to the guy but it's just not really his thing to stand up like that but in in basketball everyone knows your face everybody knows who you are you have that platform and you have and you have that that stage to to say this is what i believe in and this is what i'm going to talk about and adam silver is absolutely amazing at allowing them to do I'm it great. He's the best mm-hmm. commissioner at that. I mean, I think Goodell really just just caters to the whims of the owners, which is whatever. I mean, he's getting paid forty million dollars a year, so honestly, I'll be I'll be straight with you. Like I would too, if I was getting paid that kind of money. Like I just do whatever they say for that cash. But truthfully, like Adam Silver doesn't care about what the owners say when it comes to these types of issues. He made it very clear his first real his first real stance, his first real action as a commissioner was the Donald Sterling shit. If you remember, like that was his first month or two months as a commissioner. Everybody's like, uh-oh. You remember? like Adam Silver banning Donald Sterling was... I, honestly, I, I think that set Adam Silver on the best wave he could possibly have gone. I think from there, no one looked back and everyone was like, all right, this guy means business and, and he's here to carry on that legacy that David Stern you know, kept going. He's not playing around. Yeah, exactly. It was clear. He wasn't playing, you know, and and because no, that's the thing. When and I listened to ESPN did a thirty for thirty podcast on on the Sterling affair, and and when everybody was going into that press conference, we were expecting, and I myself included, we were expecting a suspension. We were expecting maybe a year to ban from the NBA. But he goes in there and he says this man is banned for the rest of his life from attending games, from from anything of that nature, from going to any facilities, and it's just like whoa. This is way more than we anticipated. And it's great. Good for you, you know? And ever since then, the players have clearly felt, and you can see it in the way that they take stances, they've clearly felt that they have a voice. Mm-hmm. And I do, I really believe that it's the only sport in the world right now that allows for it like this. There's probably other, other sports that would have that. I'm sure soccer has it to an extent, just so widespread that I can't, I can't know. But like hockey's all white pretty much, except a couple guys, so it's gonna be hard for them to do it. Football has just always been such a drag down sport that they've been doing pretty much what the owners tell them to do for the for the entirety of the of the existence of the sport, specifically because of that demographic, you know, no offense to those people, but that's pretty much who they cater to and that and, and that doesn't allow for the players who are actually out there risking themselves to do it to do these things to to make their their voices heard right and then baseball i don't know about baseball i know what's going on there but i just think it uh, i'll be straight with you i think baseball is losing popularity and people aren't really fans of it anymore not like not like it was but you know that's just my take that's a hot take on that no i i i you know backtracking to what you started at the beginning where basketball is really the biggest platform i think it starts with the banana boat squad 
And That's true. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you know who I'm referencing, but the Banana Boat Squad yep. is like Mello, CP3, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you also noticed, but um, I'm going to backtrack to the Jordan documentary when Michael was playing in uh, Chicago and in North Carolina, there was a black man running for Senate against a notably racist man who is a Republican. And they asked Michael Jordan to make a statement and endorse him. And Michael said, no, he doesn't want to get involved in politics and took a huge hit for that. And I think that you could see the progression of how things have went in terms of social justice and speaking up, because now you have guys like LeBron James that are really taking a huge stand. And I think basketball, you know, basketball is the most caught up sport, the most caught up sport. You know, you got guys wearing, I can't breathe shirts back in what, what was it? 2014, 2015, Nick, like that long ago. That was right during the Ferguson affair. And Colin Kaepernick can't take a goddamn knee in, in 2017. Like it's fucking ridiculous. I think that, Football has some catching up to do. And I, I think that Adam Silver has done a spectacular job at, you know, keeping keeping the NBA on a steady pace. And, and, and truthfully, you know, Adam Silver is the epitome of, of a good commissioner. And I'm going to stick by that. I agree. He's the, he's done the best with the COVID stuff. Clearly, he's he's he was the, the quickest back, the best plan back. It was there was never he he outlined every aspect of it. He kept us in this in the loop the entire time. We knew exactly when announcements were coming. We knew exactly what his deadlines were. And then he has a specific date that's that's fair. And he has them all going to a bubble so they keep relatively safe. And they're all and they're able to play basketball again. I think that he did an amazing job at that. But at the same time, you know, now now we have to look at what does it actually mean for these guys to be all together and at the same at the same point. We've already seen Jokic tested positive. You know, who who was the other one? There was someone else who tested positive. There was another big name, but a couple guys tested positive and oh Buddy Healed, he was the other one who tested positive. And but quite frankly, you know, you lock them down, you put them in, in you put them in isolation for a little bit, and then eventually they won't have this anymore and they'll be able to play again. But I think Adam Silver's done a great job. I, the the announcement that came out today is that they're going to let them put whatever name on the back. They're thinking about letting them put whatever name on the back of their jerseys that they want. John Morant made a, made a joke because his number's twelve, so he's going to put "fuck" on the back of his jersey, so it just says "fuck 12. And so, so you know, but like that's the kind of points that he was talking about. Obviously, not that aggressive, but to have something that allows you to make a stand because these guys do have platforms. Everybody has a platform, and these guys, their platform just happens to be bigger than the average human being. And so he allows them to utilize it, and I think that that's a great thing. Moving on, because I could talk about Adam Silver for an entire episode. Oh, totally. No, we could could do an Adam Silver and David Stern super show. Like, they are just different, though. (laughs) David David Stern. Stern. Besides besides the veto, besides the veto, which we could talk about possibly. We could definitely talk about the veto. The veto was that was a joke. I remember when that was going down, and it was I was thinking to myself, "Man, this team's going to be really good if they let this happen." And then David Stern vetoes it, but then he goes to the Clippers like three days later, and it was just like, "Why? Why did you veto the Lakers if you're just going to let them go to L.A. anyway? You don't want them to play with Kobe. I don't understand why you're you know 
you're trying to grasp it. But Davis Stern was a different one, but he was the pinnacle of the growth of the NBA. And now Adam Silver is the pinnacle of the maintenance of the image of the NBA, the globalization of the NBA. I think that Adam Silver has done the best job. I think that even though certain GMs from certain teams in Houston like to mess up our relations with China between the NBA and, and, and China, I think that Adam Silver has kept it relatively on par and he's done his best, you know, doing everything he can. But yeah, baseball yeah, that, is probably yeah. the worst, but you know, Dude, you, Manfred, you know, I, 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 Manfred is a joke, man. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. And that's all I'm saying. P, yeah. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I, I think that it's about time. If, if, if you're going to, if you're going to even consider guys who have, who have put steroids into their system in the Hall of Fame, which by the way, I'll be straight up with you. I don't care about steroids anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying. I still enjoyed watching Barry Bonds. I still enjoyed watching Mark McGuire. If you were around for Mark McGuire, you would have enjoyed it too. He was a monster. You know, Bro, when Mark McGuire was when Mark McGuire was seeing those home runs, you were what, like five years old? Like Yeah, and I'm like a five year old watching Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa going at it. It was amazing. People who didn't watch yeah. sports were watching that race. It was it was incredible. You know, and, and so like both of them do steroids. So what? It, does it take away from the fact that that was an amazing race? No. You know, Barry Bonds, genuine bad guy, not really like the best dude, but ultimately, does it take away from his legacy that he did steroids? Yeah, it does, but at the same time, does it mean that he wouldn't have hit 340 or whatever before he did steroids and all that kind of stuff? Like, he still had a great career without without doing mm-hmm. steroids, so like it just made him a little bit stronger and stuff like that. So. I don't know. I think Manfred's the worst. Bud Selig was bad before him. Manfred's still bad. He's even worse because now baseball's losing popularity and it doesn't really seem like it's getting any any better anytime soon. But the NBA's in a good position. And I think that it's been like that for a while. And I think that it's been on the, the up and up for the better part of four decades. Ever since Magic and, and Bird came into the league, the NBA's been growing in popularity. And we've seen this becoming a, a, a current trend that the NBA now has the leading voices in the sports world behind them, including LeBron, who is the leading voice in the sports world, at least in the United States. He is the biggest. Oh, voice in the right world! Now. In the world! In the world! Fuck, well, fuck the United States! In the world, he is the biggest. He is the most influential voice in the entire world. That isn't polit- That doesn't have a political position. He, he, one hundred percent. You, LeBron James, could go anywhere in the world. And when he speaks on a social issue, people listen. Like he, he he's a part owner in a major European soccer club. He 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 has companies. He is invested in people. He owns a school. LeBron James is the most powerful voice in sports. That's how I feel. And he uses it for good. And that's the big thing here. You know, he uses it, he he uses it. Going back to your Jordan point, I I think that it's important to remember. Jordan just didn't give a shit, man. He really didn't. It wasn't. It, it wasn't the time. He, he cared about winning. He cared about he, winning. He cared about winning and making money. That's it. You know why didn't he speak out on the North Carolina guy? Because he didn't want his. He wanted his sneakers to sell with white people. That's the truth. Like it's an unfortunate truth, but it's what it was. He wanted. Why he he didn't want. He wanted his sneakers to sell with white people. He didn't want. He didn't want like people in the South who wanted Jordans. He didn't want their parents to be like, oh, no, you know, he's he's not what we want on our kids' shoes. Like, he wasn't willing to risk that, even if it wasn't going to happen. He wasn't willing to risk it to make a statement. So, I mean, to be to be quite frank, 
I get it. I wouldn't have gone that route if it was me, but I get it. I see what he did. But ultimately, I don't think Jordan was ever a good example of of what to be like when you're talking about vocal leaders. Same case goes for OJ, obviously, before the murder shit. Like, he was still the best running back in the world, and he didn't speak out for any any civil rights movements, even though he could have. He was at that time, you know? So, like, that's the same kind of guy where you're not going to get a word out of him. Tiger Woods, same way. He's not going to talk about this stuff. It's just not his thing. But LeBron's not like that, and it's important that he's the biggest name right now because he's not like that, and he knows it, and he knows he has that platform. You know, so that's that's another another issue which I, I think is really important to to go into. But what I wanted to also touch on before we go into our major topic today is that the season's coming back, and that's where I was I was gonna before I went on my rant about Adam Silver, I was gonna talk about how Adam Silver has the season starting. And what that looks like for the NBA moving forward. So it looks like a couple teams are already in the bubble to start to train. And they have the schedules you know, out and everything is set up there. And Logan, my question to you, looking at the teams in the league right now, knowing that this is really the first year. Think about this. This is the first year probably since about 2010 that you don't know with without any question either team in the finals, right? 2010-2011 started the Heat Trio, where you know they're going to the finals. Right after they stop, now you have the Warriors. You know they're going to the finals. Then you have the Cavs and the Warriors, so you know what the entire finals looks like. And then after the, the Cavs break up, now you still know the Warriors are, are going to be there, but the Warriors suck this year, and the Cavs suck this year. LeBron's on the Lakers, and everybody's just got a, a, a duo instead of having these big threes. And I have no fucking idea who's going to win the championship. And it's the best aspect of this entire year. And COVID fucked it up. COVID fucked it all up for everybody. And if that's what pisses me off the most about all of this is that it could have been a case that it was just a completely random finals for the first time in over a decade. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. Fuck you, COVID. Shout out, fuck COVID. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, fuck COVID, stupid fuck. All right, I really, I, I'm excited because fine, you're right. Finally, it's not just, oh, another year, another Warriors win. Now, if Steph Curry and Klay Thompson were healthy, then there's conversation to say the Warriors could win another title. But for right now, it's really awesome that the West is competitive, the East so, uh, I mean, the, the East is competitive, don't get me wrong, but I definitely think a West team is going to come out on top this year. Unless somehow the Celtics, you know, that young core plays really well when they're playing well. So I'm excited to see how they play. But uh, I definitely think that the Clippers are going to take it all this year. And I I think this is a good experimental year. But I don't think the winner of this NBA title deserves a banner up. And that's how I feel. Uh, I don't know. They got through like 67 games. They got through more games than they did in 2012 during the lockout or in 99. You know, so I think that it, it still is it's it, it's a it's a it's important to to still give them the credit that's due. I but yeah, I mean this year period 2020 is always going to have an asterisk on it for everything cuz that's going to be like it's like the craziest year in, in a century. So, you know, but whoever wins this year it's going to be a lot of momentum going into next year, but it's also it's important to remember it's still a championship. I don't give a fuck yeah. who it is. It's still a championship. That's you know? true. So That's true. The big storylines going into to this bubble is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Can he actually pull it off in the playoffs for once? 
because last year he got shut down, and this year his team is way better, in my opinion, than it was last year, and last year was very good. They're playing a lot better than they were last year. They're more cohesive as a unit. They haven't really added any pieces, but they're much better playing together, and he's older, and he's playing better himself. So what does he do in the playoffs, right? Kawhi and Paul George. Kawhi is the best champion in the NBA right now. I mean, let's get real. If he is, he doesn't lose when he gets to the finals. He dragged a team on his back last year and won a championship. I think that I think that has to be said as well. So there's a lot going into this bubble. It's really interesting to see what's going to happen. I I'm really interested to see if Zion makes the playoffs because I feel like they're going to do everything they can to make sure he does because I really <laughs> yeah. want Zion in the fucking playoffs for some reason. Man, I, I feel bad for that guy because I'll be straight with you. He's gonna get hurt at some point. He just runs too yes. hard. He runs yeah, that's too what hard. I, I watch him run, Nick, and it's like every step he takes, he's trying to put a fucking hole in the floor. It's like he's running with cement fucking boots on. His knees just must be taking a beating. Like it, it, it pains me to say, it, but it's like you got to throw like offensive lineman cleats on this guy. Yeah, I mean, I mean not cleats. I say cleats. I meant braces. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, on his knees. I think he's got one already because he already had the knee issue. But the, even just the way he walks, he walks flat-footed. He, the in fact college, that he gets off the in college, I saw this kid do something that I have never fucking seen anybody do. This kid put his goddamn foot down and ripped a hole in his Nike shoe. I have never seen that happen before. Literally, the shoe exploded, and that to me, like when he did that, I said, "All right, holy shit, this kid's strong." That was the first thing I said. He is the strong. I mean, the the shoe breaking, the 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 ball where he grabbed it out of the dude's hand. You could see how much he squeezed it. That you could actually see the dent in the ball. He's the strongest player, maybe even in the entire league, minus probably some big guys. He's only 19, 20 years old. So I mean, we'll we'll see. I'm really interested to see what he's going to become. I just really hope he stays healthy because he he deserves a good career, and for him to not stay healthy and for him to get hurt it's going to be a real big tarnish on what our anticipation was and our expectations were for zion williamson and it's not his fault if it doesn't happen but if it doesn't happen then we go into the greg odin talks and then we go into all of these talks of people who it just shouldn't it shouldn't happen that way maybe they should have taken jaw jaw was clear like at the end of their careers where it's like jaw was so much clearly so clearly the better player and he was so much more graceful and he was such a better athlete and all this I stuff. Where we're talking about. I love John Moran. I love John Moran. Well, like a passion. I, I love him too. Yeah, he's got he's got a really good handle. He's got really he has a he has a, a, a grasp on the on the game that is very rare for somebody who is twenty one years old. He sees the floor very well. And on top of seeing the floor the way he does, he's also able to literally jump over you. So, I mean, that's just a, a combo that's just, there's no way that it can't work, you know. But I think that barring injury, Zion is the surest thing that we've seen since LeBron. That's just been, that's been my, my personal experience watching this guy is that this is the surest thing that we've seen since LeBron James. And if it wasn't for his injury, his knee, we'd be able to see him all season and then we would have a better idea and a better sample size. But, I mean, as it goes forward, let's hope, you know, let's just cross our fingers and hope that it doesn't happen for, I mean, that it doesn't happen to Zion and that he can have that career that we're hoping he does and and, and keep it going that way. But anyway, that being said, because I can also talk about Zion Williamson for fucking hours. The, the biggest thing that I wanted to talk about tonight, like the big story aspect to the NBA stories that I wanted to talk about is really 
the what ifs. And I haven't done a what if in a while. And when I was talking about what ifs, I was trying to think about, you know, what are the biggest what ifs that I can think of? And we kind of skewed it a little bit to get to talk about different players whose careers ended very strangely. You know, I was actually Mark or Logan, I was talking to Mark about this on one of our episodes where some of these guys, you look at them a different way because the end of their career was so different. And so when I think about certain stars, I don't think about them the same way now as I did back in 2005, 2006, whenever they were playing at their prime, because now it's just like, who the fuck is that? And there's so many examples of this. And, and I think that the biggest one that I, I wanted to touch on, well, not the biggest one, but one that I did want to touch on is a very big name. He was the first pick out of, out of Georgetown in the 96 draft, and that's Allen Iverson. You know, Al, uh, Logan, what was your experience being someone who was outside of that area? What was your experience with, with Allen Iverson when he was, when he was in Philly or, or even, even afterwards when he was in like Denver and stuff like that? So, you know, the thing about Allen Iverson, and it's funny you bring that up because, you know, when Allen Iverson was in like his prime years in Philly, I was like two, three years old. So I didn't really get to watch him at all, to be honest with you. And when I really started to grasp the game was when sort of Melo got drafted and that's when AI joined the, the, the Nuggets, and I always like knew about AI. I always watched AI. I always heard about AI. Everyone would talk about how good AI was. AI this, AI that. But I just never understood why the AI that I grew up watching wasn't the AI that was playing when I was like one, two, three years old. And you know, obviously, I got to respect his game. He's one of the best point guards ever. It just sucks that he was also the only player ever to average. 30 points per game and not make the playoffs. And I think that's just the story of Allen Iverson. I think that he worked so hard early in his career that at some point your body's just going to catch up to you and you're not going to be able to do the things he used to do. And also Allen Iverson had some off the court issues. I don't know if he did anything to his body that he shouldn't have done. I I wish Iverson had more of a support system because, you know, that Sixers team, again, another what if that Sixers team took Larry Hughes at seven over Dirk Nowinski and, and you think to yourself, wow, what if Dirk Nowinski got paired with Allen Iverson? You know, the perfect big man with point guard. So that's that's a big what if that flows into another big what if almost, you know? I also, yeah, because he, he did, they really wanted him too. And it, it was just an interesting scenario during that draft where, you know, it, he just kind of slipped and it was just a whole whole big thing. But I think that... With AI, going back to your first point where the pieces weren't really around him, I, I, it's really hard to put pieces around a guy like AI. His usage rate was so high for the time where there's not really a system where you can put another big-name star around this guy and expect them to play at a high level together, right? I mean, what is if you, looked at that, if you look at any highlights from that 2001 season, what you'll see is Allen Iverson playing one-on-one with guys and then everyone else was kind of standing around for the majority of a game. He's playing like 40 minutes, averaging 30 a game, and he's he's really just playing one-on-one with guys and, and getting to the basket. And then he has Dikembe as a defensive guy, Eric Snow for their point guard or you know that kind of deal and, and all of those things going on. But he, he's not easy to play with. And it's, it's not an attitude thing. Eventually it would become an attitude thing. But in the beginning, it was just a play style thing where you can't pair this guy with anybody and expect him to, to do well. You saw that happen in Denver. That was a big thing in Denver where he's all of a sudden this, this 30-something playing with the young guy in Carmelo 
and Carmelo is the is the scorer, and he now is a second option. He's never been a second option any point in his entire life. This is the first time ever, right? Yes, sir. And they, you know, they put him they in in Philly before he left for Denver. They put him with with Iguodala, who at that point, if you remember, Iguodala early on was a twenty point a game guy, but still was a number two guy who had to play off the ball more because Allen Iverson was the one who was he dominating. The ball. He, right, he had it in his hand the whole time. And if you have a handle the way that AI has, you don't need to have someone set your shot up for you. You can is get it, to the basket. Is it rude to say that I think James Harden is a modern day Allen Iverson? No, is it? It's not rude. It's. I mean, that's who I was thinking about when when I was talking about that too. James Harden clearly has modeled a lot of what he does off of Allen Iverson in terms of the one on one style of his game, in terms yes. of getting, getting to the basket. And but the difference obviously is that he he's got a much better three point shot, where he was yes. able to to morph it into the twenty twenty style. I think that it's James Harden. By the way, going into this guy, where a lot of people really talk a lot of smack about James Harden coming into the NBA, it, it needs to be said that scouts were not big on James Harden going into that season where he averaged like twenty five and four for Arizona State before he got drafted. They were they were not big on him because their issue was his work ethic. He was like the a number five, top five recruit out of high school. So they think, okay, this guy's not really gonna work hard. It's gonna get another OJ Mayo coming in here, and we don't need that to happen again. And so they were a little bit they were a little bit lax on on James Harden because of that for that reason. And he goes to this Thunder team, and oh, lo and behold, another what if another exactly. fucking that's one what if it. Nick, this drives me crazy because I was in high school when this team, or I was, I, maybe I was like lower grade high. Or, yeah, no, I was in high school. Kevin Durant was still with them. I remember this. I was a senior when when LeBron James won that title, and Kevin Durant wasn't on that team yet. It was in high school. Oh, that was I was the biggest supporter of that Thunder team. I I wanted them to beat the Heat so bad in that finals. I wanted them. They were up three like one against the fucking Warriors in the playoffs and blew a three one lead. They blew the three one lead before the three one lead was blown by the Warriors. I truly believe, I truly believe that that Thunder team would have been a worse and a much harder matchup for that LeBron James's Cavs team than the Warriors were. Yeah, I, I think that Kevin Durant is so lethal. So lethal and disgusting. He's the he's going to be the best scorer. Like I, I love LeBron James, and I think LeBron James is going to have the most points in NBA history. And all said is done, but I think Kevin Durant is the best scorer in NBA history. There is no one that can go full speed down the court, pull up a three point, sink it so smoothly, and do it again and again and again. I love Kevin Durant, and I love that Thunder team so much. Which why it drove me nuts when they broke up. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. It did for me too. I the thing with Kevin Durant and I think Kendrick Perkins actually just tweeted about this recently. He is the best scorer of all time, and I can't. I there's just no one I can put in front of him anymore. And the reason why I say that is because he is absolutely. And we talked about this last time we, we were you were on the the episode. He's he is elite at every aspect of scoring. Right. He is an elite three point shooter. He is an elite post player. He is an elite uh, back to the basket facing the basket, mid-range guy, slasher, getting to the free throw line. He's elite at everything. 
it's easy for him. He's the kind of guy who can go in and he, somehow he has 35 and it's the third quarter and you have no idea how he got it. He's just that consistent. You know, and I think that that has a lot to do with his work ethic. And it, it, that goes back to the James Harden thing where his, his, the knock on this guy was work ethic and he goes to the NBA and all of a sudden the biggest thing that, that they're saying is like, this guy works harder than fucking anybody. He's the hardest worker on this team. He's constantly, constantly improving. And lo and behold, on top of that, he's more than willing to come off the bench. And that's, that's something that's just so interesting to me how it happened that way. But I think that when it, when you compare him to Allen Iverson, the difference also is the explosion that AI had in his game. You don't see that quite the same way in James Harden. And it goes back to the main point about AI that I was, that I was getting to here is the NBA is so clearly not about age. Allen Iverson played for 14 seasons, right? He played until he was 35, I want to say, 34, 35 in that range. And by the time he was done, if you remember those years in Detroit, it was kind of sad at the end. So sad. It was horrible. Before he went back to Philly and he wasn't even close to being who he was before. And it's nothing against him. It's just Allen Iverson had a whole lot of mileage on him. This guy's playing 42 minutes a game every single game consistently for five, six, seven seasons. And then all of a sudden, he just starts to break down. You know who another good example of that is? It's Dwayne Wade. Oh, no. I I just, I don't know. I just feel like Dwayne Wade is just one of those guys that I, I can never look at in a negative light. You know, he just in my mind. No, was me neither. Just- but think about this. Because Dwayne Wade in 2011, in my opinion, was either the first or the second best player in the entire league. Agreed. He was th- I, I, that amazing. 2011, right? You go to 2012, he's doing it. He's still doing it. 2013, he's still doing it. You know, keep going, keep going. LeBron leaves, and he's still putting these numbers up. And then all of a sudden, he goes to Chicago. And yeah, that just, was stupid. It, but was it's stupid. just over, though. By the time he gets to Chicago, he's not a contributor like that anymore. He's not putting the numbers up. He goes to Cleveland, and he's really just an afterthought on this Cavs team. And it's yeah, and it was I, I, I so fast, was right? It was so fast that it, this he actually plays really well into this topic, where it was so fast and the drop off was so drastic and quick that I'm thinking to myself, wait, wait a second, Dwayne Wade was like an All NBA player three years ago. What the fuck happened? When did yeah, he become really this close. like decrepit guy? His knees gave out. And so by his last season, you know, and I watched a couple of his games live his last season. It was really fun seeing him seeing him live down here in Miami. But it was just he wasn't the guy anymore. It was so interesting to see how how far he had regressed in terms of his general health. And oh, it was clear sure. that he had to retire. Where it's like you it's almost like you forget how hurt these guys get after they retire because you see D Wade now and it looks like he can still play. And then I'm like, no, wait, never mind. He was he was dying. He was dying on the court. But yeah, his he career was, uh, fell off, man. It was so fast. <laughs> I, you know, Dwayne Wade's just one of those guys that no matter where he goes, people have respect for him. And and and, and it's odd to see that because usually when you're there a long time and you leave, you get some backlash for it. But you know, it seemed like it, it seemed like people knew Dwayne Wade was going to somehow come back. You know, like they. They, they call it Wade County for a reason. and It's true. Dwayne Wade is just one of those guys that will forever hold the respect of his city, like LeBron James in Cleveland, you know? 
Like when you when when you say a guy's name, you associate him with a city, and that's how I feel about that. But yeah, back to what ifs. What's another big what if that you you know would always wish that didn't really play out the way you thought? I think another big one for me. I mean, just really thinking about it. There's a couple. There's a couple ones that really stand out. Brandon Roy. Now, Brandon Roy. For anybody who doesn't know who Brandon Roy is. Brandon Roy was a shooting guard slash point guard for the the Portland Trailblazers back in the the late 2000s, right? So in the late 2000s, he was the shooting guard, kind of an off-guard kind of set that he had, but he can also handle and he can bring the ball up whenever he wanted to. And and all of these things were were kind of in his bag, right? I remember vividly, and you talked about last time how in 2K, that's kind of how you, you can tell when a player is really good, right? Mm-hmm. With Brandon Roy, I used him in 2K the first time. I was like, oh, this dude's amazing. I love using this guy, and I want to watch him more. And so I started to watch their games a little bit more, and I I got this feel from watching him. Yeah, this guy is like the next thing. This guy is absolutely unstoppable. There's nothing that anybody can do because he has a three-point shot. He gets to the basket. He plays defense. He's a very good size for what he's doing, and he was absolutely built for the NBA today. He's a 6'6 tweener, and that is perfect for what for what the NBA looks like today. Obviously, at this point, he probably would have been too old to, to really contribute anyway, but five, six years ago, when we're looking at a Brandon Roy who was more along the lines of 30, 31 years old, maybe even 29, this is a guy who I could easily have seen putting up 27, 28 points a game and also getting you about six or seven assists, and maybe even five five boards. Now, yeah. Logan, I don't know if you remember this, but what really solidified my opinion of Brandon Roy was those the 2011 playoffs when he was playing against Dirk. Oh, he gross, was against, gross. Yeah, it was one of the one of the ballsiest games in Game Four that I've ever seen, where they were down. I don't even know how much they were down. It was they had to have been down by like twenty. Uh, they were down, It was, I believe it was 69-48 when I watched. Yeah, so 21 points down. And they come back. No, and when I no, tell you that. No, note the comeback started with, note, note the comeback started with, what, like a minute left in the third? Yeah. Very, very late in the game, obviously. So the fourth quarter is pretty much all we're talking about when we're looking at this entire comeback. And it was completely orchestrated and masterminded by Brandon Roy, you know, and he had, he had pieces on that team. He had talent on that team. They, the the thing about Portland is they've always had a good structure, but they've never really brought it all together. And I think that this was the closest that they could have done. It was just Dirk, man. Like you can't, you can't get past Dirk in that 2011 finals because that goes into another, what if, what if he actually beat them in that finals in that playoffs then they go on potentially to the finals and they get wiped by the by the heat. Now we're looking at a heat three-peat almost. You know, that that's just an interesting thing there. But with Brandon Roy, when I remember being someone who has watched every single draft since I was about nine, I remember watching him get drafted and just looking at him, watching his tape, seeing the highlights, watching game film from him against Pac-12 opponents. Back in those days, we're talking about a really, really studded Pac-12, Pac-10 at that point, of course, where it was like UCLA had had a ton of talent on it. Now you have Arizona's got a ton of talent on it. Oregon's a great team. USC was a great team. There was so much talent in the Pac-10. 
and he was just a, a, a entire head above everybody, and no one really knew yeah. what to do about him. And he comes into the NBA, and he starts averaging about 22 a game. But here was the kicker, Logan. Here's the problem. The doctors for the Blazers are telling the Blazers staff, listen, this guy's knees, he's like, he's not going to last in the NBA. It's, 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 it's such a shame. It's almost like that classic joke. Oh, yeah, this guy peaked in college. Like, it's just, it's just, it just sucks to see that happen to, a, to an athlete and – Teams just have no idea what's really going on inside their body, and it's just a real heartbreaker, you know? It's true. You know, they, they don't know what's going on. And with with Brandon, you also have to remember, like, these guys are super tall, and when you're tall like that, you inherently can have injuries and issues with your joints. And so those issues with the joints can be pretty deteriorating and chronic, for a lot of guys who are tall, if the, at least the ones that I know, that's pretty much the case with all of them where they have really bad issues with their legs and their knees and stuff. And so that's to get an NBA player to not have those things is pretty much miraculous, if you if you ask me, at least. And so with Brandon, they say that he's got this borrowed time, like he's not going to last too long. It's really not going to be what you think it is five years maybe he lasts six years really six seasons if you want to call it seven he was out for an entire season he couldn't play more than 50 games for the last like three years of his career still made an all-star team in that in that time frame but he's out an entire season in 20 i want to say 2011 2012 and then he comes back plays a year for the timberwolves and he's done he plays five games for the t-wolves and he's done and it's yeah, exactly just, what they said i just i just wish like that players were checked on more in college because you know the 76ers were a team that like were just getting hit every single year with this it seemed like every every time they'd have a top three pick their pick would sit out and you'd have to wait and that's I mean that's how they got Simmons and Embiid all those years where they got Nerlens Noel and he tore his ACL the second they drafted him and I don't know I just just in general I feel like the NCAA needs to protect these star players that are, you know, risking everything. And that's why I think paying them is a step in the right direction. Yeah. Well, you can't pay them. Well, they, well, I think, how, no, the NCAA you, just you, has to well, how do you, endorse how do you pay? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like you can't pay these guys, right? The if big, you, if the you pay, big, yeah. The big name players will get endorsements. Right. Because if you, I mean, if you pay them, you have to pay like the field hockey team. And like I don't really want to watch the field hockey team, so they shouldn't get the same amount of money as the football team, right, or the basketball team. But yeah, that and I was talking about this last week actually as well because it's just something that really irritates me when I think about how a guy like James Wiseman goes twelve games into a season and then loses everything pretty much his entire year because Penny Hardaway helped his family move to Memphis so they can watch him play. So, you know, that horrible, horrible thing that that Penny did is just allow him to have his family be there for him when he's playing college basketball, you know, and and then NCAA comes down and just smacks it down and says, hey, not only are you suspended for the rest of the season or 12 games or 15, whatever, but we're also making you pay back $11,000 as a college kid. Like, what the fuck were they even thinking? I didn't even understand that. And when I heard that 
being the issue. I heard that this come up again and again and again, and now we have Zion going to testify about his improper benefits and all of this shit. Reggie Bush had to give his Heisman back because he got improper benefits. At the end of the day, why are guys getting in trouble for doing things that people are willing to pay them for? Why is oh, yeah, why, no, who is the guy? Why is someone getting in trouble for signing autographs when someone wants their fucking autograph? If I'm going to sign an exactly. autograph and someone's willing to pay me to sign my name, I shouldn't have to get in trouble for that. That's fucking capitalism. That's just profit. The thing Great that really heads. got me the worst was the the UCF punter. Do you remember that one where he had a he had a YouTube page where he wasn't even talking about football. He was just talk he was just doing it was just typical like YouTuber. He was just doing YouTube videos and they suspended him because he was a for-profit YouTuber. And I'm like that doesn't that's not right. That's his job. Exactly. People have based, people have bills to pay. It's not that simple. It's absolute horseshit that they say that, oh, here's your scholarship. This this is everything that we're going to give you. You're welcome. Where for a lot of guys, that might be enough. Guys like a Josh Rosen, whose parents are both fucking surgeons, where it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But for guys coming out of places where they, they can't have anything else and their family is still back there, and they know that they still have to play two more years on this team, and this is football, of course, until they can at least make any money at all and they have to run the risk of getting hurt in those two years so they don't even know if they're ever going to make it to begin with and you're going to tell me that that guy can't sign a fucking autograph and make some money off of it mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense and so that that's my issue with the ncaa i can go into it forever where you have a billion dollar industry do you know how much they made last year they made like it was like i want to say it was like 900 million dollars in one or no it was like 1.9 bill sorry Almost two billion dollars. Some crazy number. I did an article on it from for from the stadium, and there was some there was some crazy number that they made as a as a nonprofit organization. They're still listed as a nonprofit organization, yeah. you know. And Zion goes in and makes a whole lot of money for Duke and for the NCAA, and I think it's bullshit. But, fuck the NCAA. Fuck the NCAA. I'll fuck Carl Malone. Fuck COVID nineteen and fuck the NCAA. And Dan all right. Sterling. And fuck Donald Sterling. Those are four words I live by. Or four, the four bullet points. Four slogans. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck those guys. It, yeah. Listen. But to that, yeah. All right. I mean, it's just, and you see, and and they're they're wondering why guys are going to the play in the G League. It's like that. I'm not wondering that. I would do it too. I think that Lavar had a really good idea. I think that he did it in a strange way that I I don't necessarily agree with entirely, but I think he had a really good idea trying to get his kids to get some money before they get to the NBA. And now look at that. You know, Melo's already loaded. He doesn't really need the NBA. He's already rich. Yeah, he's insanely rich. He's insanely rich. You know, and LiAngelo never has to play in the NBA because he's already rich. So he's he set his kids up just you know well by making himself a pariah. So we can talk all the shit. We can talk about Levar Ball, but ultimately I think the guy did really well by his children. In my opinion, I think he did as best as he could by making himself a complete ass. So everyone's like, "Oh, those poor kids," and just throws money at them. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no. At, at the end of the day, going back to Brandon Roy, the best player on that team for six seasons, Kobe Bryant himself said he was the hardest player I've ever guarded in my entire life. And so this is this is the kind of talent that that we're looking at. But at the same time, like we say, there's no excuses in the NBA. So if you get hurt like that, it's really not, it's not your, there's nothing that we're going to say. It's just, you, you're done. Sorry. Next man up. This is how it goes in athletics. But for someone who I wanted to talk about also, 
who it wasn't really injuries. There's two guys here who it wasn't really injuries. It was really just they fell off, and I cannot for the life of me explain it. I can't explain. Maybe it was the NBA started to change. Maybe it was that they just lost a step and they couldn't get it back. But I think the biggest example of that, for me at least, is Darren Williams. Yeah, Remember Darren totally. Williams? Yes. Darren Williams, actually, I'm a Jersey guy, and uh, he was, you know, he, he had like some solid years with the Nets, but yeah, then that fall off really just killed because he took he took the, uh, the, if I'm not mistaken, he took the Jazz to the Western Conference Finals. If, if I'm, yeah. Yeah, Western, Conference, the Western Finals. Conference Finals. I think against the Spurs where they lost. That was yes. when they beat the We Believe, or no, it was the year after the, they beat the We Believe, or did they, they did beat the We Believe warriors that year i can't remember whatever but he was the absolute in my opinion the absolute best player on that team and i think that you can make the argument for carlos boozer there but i think that it it really was darren williams where he goes in and he is this point guard he's a great facilitator he comes off of this illinois team back in 2005 and with his team there's so much talent they go to the national championship game they have guys like luther head and 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 D Brown and, and Darren Williams playing one two and three respectively, and so Darren comes in as a, at this as his point guard goes directly after Chris Paul. And if you remember, like there wasn't a whole lot of people in the Darren Williams camp when it came to the the comparison or the argument, but there was a genuine argument between people who's better, who's better, Chris Paul or Darren Williams. And some people would make the case for Darren Williams at least in the beginning where they're both on this neck-and-neck neck thing where like Darren's got 11 assists a game, but Chris Paul just averaged 19 a game, and then Darren averaged 19 a game, but Chris just got two and a half steals and got a first-team All-NBA, and it was just like all of this back and yeah, forth. Yeah. Like, who's the best point guard? And it was really fucking close. Really close. It was really close. And, and when that trade happened to New Jersey, where he goes and then Joe Johnson goes – right after him or right before whatever, like they're on that team together. Everyone's thinking, cause this is right after Joe Johnson's dropping 25 a game in Atlanta. And everybody's thinking, Holy shit, this is a really good twosome. Like, let's see what this becomes. Let's see what this turns into. And it really, it didn't, it didn't pan out the way that we thought it was going to mainly because of what exactly I'm about to talk about. What the fuck happened to Darren Williams? It just, it just ended for him so fast where it wasn't injuries, it wasn't missing games, it wasn't an attitude thing, It was he was level-headed, he was healthy, but he just stopped playing well. And I couldn't for the life of me understand it. He was a game manager at best. He was like a shitty Andre Miller by the end of his career. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom what was going on with Darren Williams. When he, especially at the end of his time with the Nets. Did you, ever, you, got to, you said you got to watch him when he was at the end with the Nets there? Yeah, you know what? He wasn't too bad with the Nets, but... When they moved to Brooklyn, that's when everything really collapsed for them. Yeah, he just had this one season where it just it just fell off for him, and he just didn't look like the same guy. Like I was mentioning before, it just seemed like he lost his step, and, and he wasn't able to get it back. And so that that's really the craziest thing to me is if Darren Williams keeps his high-intensity play from 2005 to at least like 2015, where he's able to have like a nice little arc of his career and then retire on good terms... I don't think that we're talking about him like that. And I think that we're actually comparing him to the likes of Chris Paul, who for a lot of people at the present time is on a lot of Mount Rushmore's for point guards. You know, he's not on mine, but he's on a lot of people's for point guards just because of how how pure of a point guard and how consistent he's been throughout the entirety of his career 
from 2005 when he's drafted till this literally this day where he is still a high level player all-star game mvp this year you know at 35 years old and doing big things on a very competitive oklahoma city thunder team you know and so like there's the discrepancy and i have to say logan and i don't know if you agree with me on this if it wasn't for that comparison if we're just looking at Darren Williams by himself without another great point guard coming in, literally a pick before him, I really don't think that it's going to be the same conversation. I don't think that fall off is as drastic. I don't think that we look at it at least as being as drastic as it was because we don't have this high standard of excellence that we're comparing him to where Chris Paul keeps ascending and Darren Williams all of a sudden just dropped off a fucking cliff. Yeah, no, he, I just the thing with the NBA I wish there was, you know, more consistency from players, not just the big name players. You know, I, I, I wish people really cherished the role players a lot more because those are the guys that come and go. Sometimes those are the guys that are the most important, like Andre Iguodala in the finals. It's, I think that that's a very good point you're making because there's another guy who I kind of think that way about too when it comes to consistency. But you have to see also from the standpoint of, Consistency also means that you stay healthy. Consistency and durability are comp- they're not mutually exclusive. You have to have both. You know, so it's like you can't you can't be playing 55 games a season and be a consistent contributor to a to a high-level team. If you're hurt every single year like a lot of these guys are because it's just a it's a grind, man. If you think about it, like you're playing 82 games, that's a lot of games to play. And my ba- my basketball seasons were 14 games and it seemed like a lot college basketball seasons at the most is like 35 games and that seems like a lot to them and then they have to transition now to playing from november or october now till june you know it's like Mm -hmm. a full time it's like full it's like a school year's worth of of basketball and they're and they're playing every other night or every you know every back-to-backs or things like that where it's just like there's a lot of there's a lot of energy being exerted on a consistent basis to a point where if you don't have millions of dollars like LeBron does just to throw out your own body to make sure that you're healthy coming into the season, you'll wear down pretty quickly. You know, you'll wear down and, and, and no one can really blame you for it. You see it happening with a whole lot of guys. I think that was the case with Yao. I think that Yao's body was too big for, for, the sport that he was playing. I don't think that someone who's seven foot six and and wide like that and 330 pounds and seemingly in shape, but it was just a, you know, a little bigger. I think that's too much weight to put on knees for a consistent amount of time. And I, I'm not surprised at all that he got hurt for big men to last. The only big men that really, really last without significant issues throughout their career are the skinny ones realistically, or the ones now that aren't down low. Carl Anthony Town shooting threes, shit like that. You know, it's it's a it's a much yeah. different league. Where the game has that... transformed. The game has transformed. You know, I, I truthfully think that's what happened to Shaq. I think, I think he was so dominant. The game progressed to favor the athletic big man, and I think Shaq's just age and his size getting bigger, and he was he was less mobile. I think that was just part of the reason. You know, it was. Shaq was different though, because it was he was just too big. If Shaq played today, he would still do the same shit. You couldn't stop him. You know what I mean? Like if I, I kind of hope that someone comes into the NBA, sort of like Shaq, maybe just like maybe like skinny Shaq in Orlando, so you can cover 
the 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 five out sets that he's going to be seeing, you know, throughout the course of the yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. But just someone who's not really good at shooting threes as a big man, which is so funny that I say that today because even five years ago, that's just a crazy fucking thing to say where it's like every big man needs to shoot threes. There's only like three of them in the entire NBA who don't. And only one of them is really a consistent contributor, AKA Andre Drummond, you know, where he's not even that big of a deal because the NBA moves on from guys like that almost, almost immediately today. And it's just an interesting concept but there hasn't been a pure dominant player like that since Shaq retired. And even when Shaq retired, he was garbage, you know? So there, there hasn't really been a case of, you know, the large man comes in who is also a, an athlete and is able to, to do all of these things. So the, so the NBA starts to shift and yeah, I think it does play a big part into these guys getting hurt. I think that when you're away from the basket and you're not grinding down low and it's not constant, constant, you know, back to the basket stuff, post play, all of those things. It takes a toll on these guys, especially when you're in front on the post, like you have to crouch down. It's bad on your knees. Eventually there's a whole lot of things that can happen and you see it happening with these guys, you know? So the NBA definitely has changed to that extent. I think it will have an effect on injuries, but for some of these guys, it, it's a little bit too little too late. Yeah, it really hasn't. And really this whole episode you know, after everything we talked about, and I'm, and I'm finally getting all my thoughts together towards the end, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, like I'm thinking about how many possible Hall of Famers that there could have been, but just injuries. I mean, I have it. I have, I have guys written down on my list right here. Let's think about this. Darren Williams, first ballot Hall of Fame, if he stayed, if he stayed just playing high level. I don't even know what the fuck happened there, but he was playing at a Hall of Fame level for for years and years. Right, right after him, Brandon Roy, clear first ballot Hall of Famer without injuries. That wasn't even a question. He was going to be the next thing. He was going to be competing for years and years. Portland was going to go to a, to a finals, but they are the single unluckiest team of all time, and so it didn't fucking happen for him. Danny Granger, another injury guy. You know, the thing about Danny that I always like to talk about is that he clearly improved so much year in and year out that he goes five points to 10 points to 15 points to 20 points to 25 points in five seasons. You know, he's increasing his scoring average by five points a season for five consecutive seasons, eventually averaging 25 points to such an extent that they're playing Paul George. Of course, this is only his rookie season, but they're playing him only about like 12 minutes, 13 minutes a game because they don't need him there. Even though you know what Paul George is, even at that point, because he was still highly productive, you still have Danny Granger. And that, yeah. if you remember that time, it was like Danny Granger's the guy in in Indiana. If there's there's not going to be another guy, he was really good. Too. Absolutely, he was an amazing. He was an amazing player. He was a Hall of Fame level player, but he got hurt. And there's no excuse for getting injured in the NBA. It's it's next man up. It's so it's so ruthless when it comes to athletics. I think all sports are like this, where it's just like if you don't stay healthy, well, go fuck yourself. <laughs> You don't matter. Literally. Next guy. Uh, yeah, let's just replace you, you feel? We got another one. We, or we'll draft another one. We'll figure it out. We'll 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 work our team around again and we'll get we'll get it all squared up. And they'll try to make you healthy, but like some of these guys come back from these injuries. Paul George in 2014 at the at the FIBA World Championship when he snapped his leg, no one thought he was coming back from that. But he did. He came back and he had a he had a down, he had one down year and then he absolutely blew the fuck up. 
especially when he got to Oklahoma City. And now he's doing his thing in L.A. So it's like he came back from it. But Gordon Hayward did not come back from his. Absolutely yeah, he not. Couldn't. He couldn't. He Unfortunately, his is also situational too, though, because in the year that he was hurt, it was also the year where they started to see the flourishing of other stars. You know, they had they had Kyrie was facilitating fuck Kyrie. They also, but they also had like Jalen Brown was in was starting to come into his own. They had Avery Bradley. They had guys who were performing. And then in 2018, right after that happens, they take Jason Tatum. So now it's like they really don't need another wing. And Gordon Hayward's just kind of the odd man out because he's, he missed an entire season. We don't know what he's going to be when he comes back. We don't really need his skill set too much because it kind of counteracts what we're trying to do with these guys. So we'll play him off the bench. And now we just have this issue with Gordon Hayward just kind of there with this huge-ass contract. You know, and so, and it just so it's like it's the shittiest thing about the NBA. It's just like there is no excuse. You will be replaced, and if you cannot figure it out right away when you get back, it's not going to matter. That's the thing that I'm interested to see for somebody like a John Wall. It's like what happens with John Wall when he gets back? Because this is Bradley Beal's team now. You know, in a time that he's been hurt, Bradley Beal has taken over this team, and now he is the guy in Washington. So what does what does John Wall do when he comes back? Do they run at one two? Does he try to facilitate, or does he try to take over? Who knows? You know, it's going to be kind of the same thing as it was before because that's kind of how they were before. But it's just like, does John Wall come back full strength? Who knows? There's no way. I to hope know. he does. I he really hope he does. I love watching John Wall. He's exciting as fuck. But by the same token, if you are super exciting, you also, you know, there's also a, a point where you're going to be hurt. <laughs> that's why Russ is such an anomaly. I don't know how he hasn't get hurt, got hurt yet. He runs like a freight train every single play and somehow stays healthy all the time. Yeah, no, for think about it just just in general, basketball is one of those sports that you take one step. I mean, really, it can happen in any sport, but basketball is just so quick. You don't have time to control your body sometimes. And, you know, in one split second, your season could just totally fucking implode on you, you know? I remember, I remember when I was in high school, there was this kid who was, he had just come off of an ACL tear. And there, we were in layup lines, and he goes up for a layup off of his left leg where he tore it, and you just see the wiggle. You just know. Every time you see the wiggle, you just know it's fucking torn again. And it's just like, just like that, you know, it's over. And it was just, it was obviously completely non-contact. He was just going up for a fucking layup. And it was just at, just like that. It's completely over for you. And that's as simple as it can be sometimes for these guys in any sport, like you mentioned. Like you, but in basketball in particular, because like you land on someone's foot after a rebound, you know, you come down, maybe get kneed in the wrong place. Like that's uh, going into another guy who I, I always kind of like to talk about when I talk about like kind of what could have happened with him, like a Ricky Rubio. If you remember Ricky Rubio out of the two, like it was that draft was atrocious for, for David Kahn, the GM, the new GM of the Timberwolves, because if you remember it was the 09 draft and you still had Steph Curry on the board. And instead of taking yeah. Steph Curry, he takes two other point guards before Steph Curry he takes Johnny Flynn, which, which by the way, we're not going into because I fucking love Johnny Flynn. So we're not going to talk about it, but he also takes Ricky Rubio who by Syracuse God, Syracuse God, yo, know, Sy- Syracuse guys always suck in the NBA. It's really, it's really frustrating at this point. <laughs> not Carmelo Anthony, but like name another one. True, 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 true. Derek Coleman, maybe, but that's like the 90s. It's, it's, it's been pretty bad. 
But um, with with Johnny, he came in, he was doing okay, but he had a hip injury and he ends up playing like Australia or something. But with Ricky Rubio, it didn't make any sense for them to draft him. His his agent was going around to teams, including Minnesota, saying he's not going to try to get out of his contract if you draft him. He doesn't want to play for you. <laughs> he had this huge, lucrative-ass deal with Barcelona. And it was like, he's not going to play for you unless you put him in a, in a position to not just win, but also to market himself. He wants to be in L.A. or Chicago or New York or Miami or something like that. He doesn't want to go to Minneapolis. No offense to anybody from Minneapolis listening, but it's you're not Chicago. You're not New York. You're not L.A. Sorry. I hate to, I hate to break the news to you. But like Ricky Rubio could have gone one pick later and gone to Golden State, which would have been fine, or one pick earlier and gone to Sacramento, which would have been fine because that's where his agent was based out of. They could have been closer to each other. But at the same time, he gets drafted to the Timberwolves right after another fucking point guard. Yeah, it no. makes absolutely no sense. I mean, and so it takes him two years to come here. He comes over, and now this is this is post trade with the Celtics. So they have Al Jefferson on the Timberwolves at this point. And if you remember Al Jefferson at that time, he was actually pretty fucking good. He's averaging like twenty two and twelve. And you have Ricky Rubio there, and it looks like for a second, okay, this is like a kind of a good tandem that they can maybe build something around. They need another piece. They need another star. But this might be the start of something. And then they get Kevin Love. And then it's like Love, Jefferson, and Ricky Rubio. And it's like, okay, wait, hang on a second. I think the Timberwolves might be getting good. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, like Rubio gets hurt and it's fucking over, man. Yeah, that that was just it. And then like I remember the Knicks tried to pick him up and I was like, the fuck you doing? Just get rid of him. Yeah. Like I love I mean, but like if you ever watch him play, I remember when he was getting drafted, he was about to come over to play. I was a junior, I want to say, and and he was. I was watching his highlights on my phone before a game one time, and I'm like, "Whoa, this dude's good. This dude's like Pistol Pete with the passes, you know? Like he was that he reminded me a whole lot of the way that Pistol Pete passes the basketball, and I'm just like, he's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. And if you if you ever watch him, you know, like he's he's got the behind the pack the back package, you know, he's he's really good at facilitating. He's a, by the way. He's a solid defender when he wants to be. Average like two steals a game for a couple seasons, but he's just been passed around for the past like five years and he just never panned out because he couldn't come back. Just some guys can't come back from that shit, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. But yeah, so I mean, that being said, I think that we've talked enough about careers that faded pretty quickly. I think there's a, a lot other ones that we could have gone into, such as more into like a Danny Granger, like a Joakim Noah is another example, where like where the fuck did he go out of nowhere? I just think for him, the NBA kind of changed and he was left out. You have guys like Gilbert Arenas who love who loves guns, so obviously his shit fucked up. <laughs> but one one also was like, remember when Devin Harris was averaging like 20 a game in Dallas? Yes, Devin Harris. I remember him. He right. was never going to be good, but he was – I mean, he still could score. I, Jeez, you're bringing you know, up like, like – I know. That's what I'm saying. Like these are the kind of names that I think about where it's just like this dude was fucking good. Josh Howard. I mean, these are like big names where at their, at a specific time, these were the biggest names in, in, in the you know the league or whatever the case is. Well, not really, but you know, big names in the league. But that being said, I think that we've spouted enough about these players that fell off too quick. And I think we had a, a lot of a lot of fun here. I I sorry, I'll talk for myself. I had a lot of fun. I don't know if you did, Logan, but I had a good time. 
But no, Logan, I, are you guys doing an episode? I know that Mark's away for a little bit. Are you are you guys doing an episode? Yes. Mark is away with the lady friend right now. He hasn't seen her in almost three months for COVID. So uh, he's with her for a little bit. But I think our next episode, we want to have Nick on. So Nick, I'm not even going to ask you. You're going to be on our next episode. So I'll let you know when that's going to be. But yeah, thanks for having me on, man. This is always a great fucking time with you. Yeah, thanks for coming. It's always it's always good, dude. And uh, for anybody who's out there listening, like I always say, go to Apple Pod, leave a five-star review, let me know what you think. If you don't like it, I don't know. I was going to say fuck off, but that's okay. Don't, don't fuck, fuck off. I don't, I don't, don't, I don't think that that's a good thing to say to somebody who might already leave a bad review. So I'm just going to say, hey, man or woman, let me know what's wrong. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I do shit wrong. Let me know what I did wrong and I'll fix it and I'll try to do better. But this that being said, you know, all constant, constant improvement, constant improvement without, with all else being behind us. All I have to say is if you're not ugly, stay beautiful. Yes, sir. And I'll see you next week. Pleasure, Nick. Always fun. Peace.